When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. The night may be long and the dark may be deep, but the answers are there to be found. Whether it's the normal, the abnormal, or the paranormal, you're in the right place. Let's go beyond reality. Welcome to the world of the unusual, the bizarre, and occasionally the macabre. This is Beyond Reality Radio. Good evening, everyone. Welcome to the program. It is a late night Thursday. Jason and JV do have the night off. My name is Bruce Markison. Haven't been with you for a while. I believe the last show I did was back during the summer. Well, technically it's still summer, but the real summer back in early August. So it's been a little bit of time, but glad to have a chance to talk to you tonight. Uh, This evening, we're going to have a chance to discuss uh, things like states of consciousness, paranormal activity, spiritual experiences, and hypnosis with our guest, Dr. Frederick Woodard. And we'll talk about Dr. Woodard uh, a little bit more in just a moment. But as we get started on tonight's program, let's remind you about just a few things. We have an excellent website, beyondrealityradio.com. Not only is that a great way to listen to the show through that website, but uh, you can uh, go back into our rather extensive archive, listen to old shows, lots of other great stuff at the website beyondrealityradio.com. We have a chat room. If you go to J.V. Johnson on YouTube, you can participate in the chat during the course of our two-hour program. It's a fun way, really an active way, to listen and be involved in the program. Again, our chat room, J.B. Johnson on YouTube. Uh, Follow us on Facebook as well, Facebook at Beyond Reality Radio. You can also follow us on other forms of social media, Snapchat and Instagram. Uh, We will be taking your calls a bit later on. Our toll-free number is 844 687 7669. Again, that's 844 687 7669. Also, you can call us at 607 282 4497. So, we'll be talking to Dr. Woodard in just a couple of moments. But um, one thing I wanted to talk about uh, anybody who's listened to me in the past knows that I'm a, a big fan of horror films. And one of the things that I try to keep tabs on i have a facebook page myself it's at ghostly gallery uh it's called bruce markison's ghostly gallery but it's kind of hard to spell my name my last name is kind of tricky so just punch in at ghostly gallery on facebook it'll take you right to the page and i like to look at anniversaries of old movies and as we get started with this program tonight Um, You know, in many parts of the country, we are actually uh, still on September the 12th before we move into Friday the 13th. Uh, And on this day, September 12th, back in 1962, really interesting movie uh, came out here in America. It was originally called City of the Dead. It originally came out in the United Kingdom in 1960. And then two years later, 
1962, September 12th, it gained its American release. So it was put out in theaters here in the United States. By then, they decided to rename the film. They took away City of the Dead, and they called it Horror Hotel, which uh, is probably a better title. And it's a really underrated film. It gets into witchcraft and Satanism, the supernatural. Uh, it's also got Christopher Lee in it, which is you know pretty good just to begin with. But he's actually playing a role of something other than a vampire or a man-made monster. Uh, he's playing more of a satanic figure who is disguising himself as a college professor. Now, the movie actually features a little-known actress named Venetia Stevenson. Venetia Stevenson, she plays uh, what seems to be the lead role, Nan Barlow. Uh, She's an unsuspecting college co-ed. She decides to use her winter break to travel, learn more about the subject of witchcraft. Uh, And her college professor is Christopher Lee. At his recommendation, she travels to this small village of Whitewood, where there's lots of fog, it's very eerie, a lot of weird things going on. Well, pretty soon she ends up disappearing, and her brother and boyfriend, they travel to Whitewood to find out what's going on. Now, Christopher Lee has a relatively small role, but he's great in it, as he always is. Probably the key actor in the film is someone you may never have heard of. Her name was Patricia Jessel, and she actually plays the person that runs this very creepy, nefarious hotel. Uh, She was an actress with a very unusual appearance. She had very hawk-like features. Uh, She, uh, you know, kind of looks like somebody that uh, is hiding a secret. You know that she's not exactly all that she appears And she's just terrific in the film. She's probably the best of all the actors in the movie. One of the reasons she's become forgotten is because she died only a few years later, 1968. She had a heart attack at the age of 47. Uh, She actually looks much older in the movie, but in real life, you know, she was still uh, only about, what, 41, 42 when she made the movie. Although she, she, She could have passed for, you know, early 60s. But she ended up dying very young and became somewhat of a forgotten uh, figure. Uh, The movie was directed by a first-time director, John Moxie. John Moxie actually just died in May, 94 years of age, just passed away. Uh, Not a big name, but he, he, on a very low budget, does a black-and-white movie and really succeeds in creating this consummate, eerie atmosphere for a 1960s horror film. It's got creepy tension, uh, really uses the black and white footage very well, moody music, lots of fog. Uh, it's really a, a terrific movie about witchcraft, satanic masters, and a conspiracy of evil against uh, the citizens, the innocent citizens in this strange village of Whitewood. So that film came out this date, September 12, 1962, in America. I believe it's still on YouTube. You can watch it for free. If you haven't seen it, highly underrated, and I do recommend it very strongly. Originally called City of the Dead. If you look it up on IMDb, that's how you'll find it there. But in America, known as Horror Hotel, starring the great Christopher Lee and the underrated Patricia Jessel. So a little bit of a diversion into the uh, world of supernatural films. 
Uh, when we come back, uh, we will get the program started for tonight um, uh, in full force as we talk to Dr. Frederick Wood- Woodard. Uh, Dr. Woodard is a hypnotherapist. He's an author, a paranormal researcher. Uh, he is going to be discussing altered states of consciousness, paranormal and spiritual experiences, and also hypnosis. He is experts uh, in all of these areas. So we'll begin our conversation with Dr. Woodard. We're just beginning. It's a late night Thursday. Jason and JV have the night off. Bruce Markison filling in. You're listening to Beyond Reality Radio. Look out, Rochester. Scaricon is coming for you. The Northeast's leading fan convention for all things pop culture is celebrating its ninth year at the Rochester Riverside Hotel, October 18th through the 20th. Scaricon brings an amazing group of celebrities, panel discussions, film screenings, great vendors, and amazing parties. It's a weekend of fun from start to finish, and it's family-friendly. For more information, visit Scaricon.com and check us out on Facebook. Use the promo code BRR at checkout to save 20% on your admission. That's Scaricon.com, October 18th through the 20th in Rochester, New York. Bruce Markison, glad to have a chance to fill in on tonight's program. And our guest is Dr. Frederick Woodard. He received a Doctor of Clinical Hypnotherapy from the American Institute of Hypnotherapy in 1992. Uh, He's a Doctor of Philosophy in Clinical Psychology from the California School of Professional Psychology. He also has three master's degrees in psychology from a variety of universities. Uh, He has a website, woodardhypnosisandpsychotherapy.org, and has written the book Perceptual Hypnosis. Uh, Dr. Woodard joins us on the line tonight. Uh, Dr. Woodard, welcome to the program. Thanks for being with us on Beyond Reality Radio. Oh, thanks for having me on. Absolutely. I want to begin by talking about this word paranormal, trying to define it. I guess I've always thought of paranormal as the supernatural. That's probably uh, an overly simplistic, if not completely inaccurate, take on this. How do you define paranormal? When you use that word, what what exactly do you mean by it? Well, I see it as a, as a word that's, um, you know, it's so expansive. It's really... Um it covers all kinds of things, um, so it's kind of hard to capture it in a simple definition. One of the things I see about it is um, that it is uh, it's something that is unexpected and contrary to one's belief. I found that as a theme in many of the experiences that people shared with me. They It was not what they were expecting. Something happened, and it wasn't what they were taught was supposed to happen. It was contrary to what they would believe would happen, and it uh, it kind of rocked that kind of reality. Sort of a parallel to that would be the dark night of the soul, spiritually way back, where people would say that, you know, everything that you learned, everything you knew is in question now, and, and then you go through this crisis of not being able to understand, and then you come out with a new perspective. Well, that... Yeah, that certainly makes sense. Is there an overlap between paranormal and what we generally refer to as the supernatural? I think there is. I think there. I think the supernatural is part of the paranormal, just as spirit. Many spiritual experiences are part of the paranormal. Um, I saw, like my book, hypnosis. I touch on both paranormal and hypnosis, and I see hypnosis as an altered state of consciousness and 
understanding or experiencing a paranormal experience may also be needing to be in an altered space, in an altered, you know, state at times. Um, so supernatural, paranormal, uh, parapsychology, uh, what, what the, the academic people use now is transpersonal psychology. Mm-hmm. That, that's, they've changed it to that. But I think they're all talking about the same things. I, I find it funny when people, you know, try to complicate it and say levels and layers. And I've never seen an experience or heard a person have an experience that they were being notified they entered level two or <laughs> level three. or you know, yeah. They just kind of go to the experience. But I don't. I, I think they're all. They all share that in common. It's something. It's beyond what we're taught. It, it's more than rational thinking or yeah. logical thinking. You know, it's more than physically based understanding. Carl Jung told the story in one of his books about how a picture fell off of a uh, off of a bookcase um, and cracked, and he wrote down the exact time. And that picture was a picture of someone he knew. That was the moment they died. And he called that synchronicity, mm-hmm. a causal principle, something that made sense, but not in the way that we generally understand it. How did your interest in the paranormal begin? I think just a lot of um, being exposed to people's unusual experiences. Um, I, I was lucky enough to have my grandfather, who was very open-minded and used to always talk to me about how we can use our mind in incredible ways. And he didn't really have much of an education, but he was very open to things and kind of encouraged me. And um, just meeting different people and different experiences that I've seen and understood. And, you know, when you have those kind of experiences, it's kind of doesn't fit the, the standard. Then you, you, what do you do with that? Yeah. You said your you grandfather. Know? Were you raised by him? No, no. He was just a, 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 an important part of my life. Open, was open to those kind of things. I remember one time when he was like 89 years old, he said to me, well, if the universe goes on and on and on, how can we be the only people here? Mm. How can we be the only life that exists? Yeah. You know, and it was a simple statement, but it's truthful. So you were very young when this interest began. Yes, I, I've, I've always been interested, yes. Um, as a teenager and on, I, I think, and when I was little... When did you begin to document the experience of others? When did you really kind of begin to well, formalize I, the this? The interesting thing was when I got out of high school and I thought about how interested I was in everything, I thought, well, wait a minute. If you really want to grow and you really want to understand and you really want to seek the truth in these aspects, like in the paranormal, what are you there trying to achieve? And I wanted to understand, I guess, really understand it. Then I thought, well, I need to have more training. So the first thing I did was easy and quick, became a hypnotherapist, and that wasn't that hard. But then I realized that's not, like, um, enough. Mm. I, I felt like I needed more, and so that's where I entered psychology. And there's a number of people in any walk of life that you enter that ha- it shares those interests. Um there were a number of prominent psychologists like Carl Jung, William James, um, that really looked into those things in a serious way and didn't just dismiss them. You mentioned that 
becoming a hypnotherapist was actually fairly easy. It, it actually doesn't sound that easy to me. <laughs> well, uh, compared to getting a master's degree and, and doing a, a, a master's thesis and a, and a PhD and doing a dissertation. Yeah. And, it's, you know, internships and postdocs and training and everything, and to, to a four-hour exam. <laughs> yeah. So you, you, you really started as a hypnotherapist in the early 1990s, but you continued your education well into the 2000s. Yes. Yes, I did. I got, my, um, I got several masters. My first master's was in a, a wonderful place at the University of Georgia at Carrollton. Um, Raymond Moody was there. Bill Roll was there. Um, and one of my mentors, who was Ann Richards, who actually had the... Um, had a had a had worked on a, a theory called perceptual psychology, and that spoke to me about the experiences I had under hypnosis much better than all the other theories I'd heard that made no sense to me. Um, it was very humanistic and it very um, healthy in the way like you can't look at certain things and see other things. That's a choice. That's a positive thing, not a negative thing. Where dissociation, sometimes people do it. And it's not positive, but it's not the total explanation for things. So yeah. I was much interested in that, but that's where I got started. And um, they had some wonderful people there. I actually was able to do an independent study on precognition, which was fascinating. And one of the cases that I found in a journal was a housewife in England that had had a vision during meditation of an um, invasion on Israel during the uh, Olympics, and she wrote to the prime minister, um, a Golden Meir, and the United States and Israel soldiers uh, figured out where that spot was, and they hung out. And mm. sure enough, terrorists came in and they stopped them. Yeah. We are talking about the world of the paranormal. We're talking about hypnosis. Our guest is uh, Dr. Frederick Woodard, has written the book Perceptual Hypnosis. Uh, Dr. Woodard, we talked about your rather vast educational experience in the 1990s into the 2000s. Once you completed your education, um, tell us about some of the early paranormal experiences that you began to to document. I, I assume you interviewed people about what they had gone through. Tell us about some of those early experiences that you remember hearing about. Well, I... I uh... I interviewed people on a number of experiences, one of which was a woman who uh, who, who was um, thought she was abducted, and um, and I interviewed her in depth on her experience. Uh, I interviewed other people that had what they thought were demon possessions and um, experiences like that. The, the research I did, the extensive education, was so that I could learn how to thoroughly interview someone with a psychological, you know, sophisticated way, which is qualitative research they call phenomenological. And it's actually very in detailed and it takes a lot of time. But uh, a lot of the people, I pulled out themes of their experiences and I published a, a, an extensive paper um, on uh, these paranormal experiences. It was uh, a number of pages. I forget exactly how many, but um, it went from like page 73 all the way to, I'm trying to remember now here, all the way to 132. And um, 
just I just used a handful of people. There was one person that felt like there was something constantly a shadow type figure that bothered her, and eventually she was able to use light to prevent it from affecting her, and it stopped. But um, there were people that had um, dreams that came true, and many of the different things you hear about. I I didn't spit, I didn't stick on any one thing. It was whoever presented to me what they presented. Did you feel that every one of your interview subjects was legitimate, or did you feel that one or two were putting you on? Well, there were people that ha- were eliminated because of, you know, they weren't really, you could kind of see that they they weren't, you know, they, they had other issues going on, and you couldn't totally rely on the experience. But a lot of the people that were genuine people, I, I would say they... Uh, you could kind of you could get a feel for what was real and what wasn't. Yeah, in any t- you really could you know one example would be many of the people that shared genuine experiences with me would say I've never told anybody this. Yeah, and I, and they didn't want anyone to know. They didn't. They did not really want their names. A lot of my work was confidential, so they didn't want their names shared. Now, that person that wants to make the paper tomorrow, that's kind of an issue. Yeah, I see. You know, it's like. Like the people that call up the police department and um, confess to a crime that they didn't commit. Right. In any case, did you suspect that your interview subject may have been suffering from some form of mental illness and you felt, I need to refer them to a medical professional? Did that ever come up? Yes. On occasion, I had someone that that was doing it, but I'm also a psychologist, so it made it easier for me to identify those things where people weren't really um, having a genuine experience. They were more psychotic. They really did need help grounding themselves. And that's one of the reasons I wanted to be a psychologist, too, having an interest in all of this, was I wanted to be able to identify the difference. You felt the vast majority of people, though, had some sort of a legitimate experience the people I chose to uh, fully investigate, I felt, were very genuine experiences. You mentioned a few of the experiences that you chronicled early on. Was there one that was particularly wild, for lack of a better word, highly unusual, that really grabbed your attention? No, not not particularly. I mean, they're all there's so many people that share. The, the thing that I noticed was how when you hear these stories over and over, they they're all share similar qualities. The more, the more you get into it, if you really know what you're doing, the more you speak to people, the more you see the themes are there all the time. One, an interesting one that I noticed was when people really believe there's a ghost in their house or a spirit or a relative or somebody, actually sometimes when they speak out to them and say, stop that, they do. Hmm. They actually, and I've heard that many, many times. The idea, one, the idea of confronting the ghost or spirit, saying "Please stop," and yeah. they do, and they do. Right. I mean, in certain circumstances, you know, we're not, but um, but it's like a a, a particular theme. Nothing is like all the time with everybody, but you know, it's like groups of things, and that's just one group of things. And there's many people that have had that experience. 
And they've told me that. Well, I asked the person to stop, and they did. Yeah. One woman that was hearing her sister who had died on her, and she'd hear her call her name, and, and she, she one day she said, I know you're there. That's, a, that's enough. Please stop. And it never happened again. What were some of the other common themes that came up? Um, time and space altercation, um, vivid, uh, vivid uh, experiences of senses, all the senses very heightened. Um, people remember these experiences more than they do other experiences. You know, it's one of the, it's something that stands out. Um, when you say time and space, what do you mean by that? An altercation of time and space, like there's no time and there's no space. You know, it's like it's like you're suddenly in an altered altered space where those things are altered. Kind of like in hypnosis, they talk about how a minute can be seem like an hour, or an hour can seem like a minute. I see. So they had no sense of time, and maybe they were in a room when this began, and then all of a sudden the setting of the room disappeared. Yes, that could that could very well happen. And something else was there. I remember one woman telling me that her house transformed back to when she was young, and her mother was there. Yeah. And um, for those few moments that she she had an experience with her mother, um, one woman uh, told a story that was very fascinating. Was the idea that uh, her and her sister couldn't find the family well, and one day she laid down to go to bed and she smelled her father's pipe, and she looked at the end of the bed and there he was standing there, and he told her to go to the house and look in the coin savers, and sure enough, that's where the will was. Yeah. It's obvious to me you believe in ghosts and spirits. Is that based on well, I, your own experience? I, I, I see that. Now, I can't say I can prove anything without a doubt, but I see those. The, the thing I look for is the physical, cord, the physical correlation to the actual story, like that, that, like that one where they're looking for something, they can't find it. Um, and then something happens, they're given the information, and it's true. How about yourself, uh, your own paranormal experience? Anything like that happened early on that spurred this interest even further? No, I've had, I've had a, a, an occasional experience where I feel like, um, I guess, unconscious communication um, and, and synchronicity things. I've, had, I've seen synchronicity things that are very interesting. Um, so those kind of things always kind of made me wonder it's kind of like the tele- telepathy type of thing you know is, do you actually um i remember one time when i was young i had a girlfriend and she had an older guy that was interested in her and i was riding around on my motorcycle one night at like um it was six o'clock at night and i said ah oh, she's probably she's with him and i looked at my clock and it was six o'clock and so later i said something to her and said would you follow me she said i was with him I said, I don't know how I knew that. I just, I really don't. I wasn't anywhere near them. Yeah. And I don't know how I knew that. I, But I did. I didn't see it. I just thought it. But I can't explain that. I, You know, it wasn't something I thought regularly. And that's the other thing. It's usually unusual experiences. They're not experiences people have all the time. 
you know, it's something that just jumps out of the reality of your everyday thought. When you say when you say synchronicity, do you also mean coincidences? Well, there are coincidences. I remember there are coincidences in the world. There's no doubt about that. Even Sigmund Freud said sometimes a cigar is just a cigar. Yeah. You know, there is definitely that, but there's these unusual things that take place sometimes where they just, the chances of them happening, if I was a mathematician, it would be astronomical. Yeah. And so then the question is, what does that mean? Why did that happen? And it's meaningful. It's not unmeaningful. That That's the whole point. Yeah. Like when somebody shows up in an emergency and and protect somebody, and they just were driven to do that, and they don't know why. Let me give you an example. Um, in addition to the things that we talk about in this program, another area of interest for me is the sport of baseball. I live in Cooperstown, where the Hall of Fame is. Uh. Um, kind of an interesting coincidence that came up the other night, the night of September 11th, the New York Mets are playing at home at City Field against the Arizona Diamondbacks. Uh, the Mets scored nine runs on 11 hits, 9-11. Is that an example of synchronicity? No, no, no that's more coincidence. That, that's more that, pure that, coincidence. That has no, the, the kind of synchronicity thing would be a meaning to it, you know, like a, a special meaning, like that picture that broke and that guy had died at that moment. I see. You know, it has a significant like meaning to that moment. I think those coincidences, though, are, I read a book once, um, it was all about things like that. It was fascinating. And what you're just saying happens like all over the place all the time. And somebody had actually spent the time to do those things. They were like, it was, it was, it was very interesting, but I'm not sure what to make of that. I've never really studied that. Our guest the, the is... coincidences that I have experienced would be somebody having a dream and literally like one guy that I interviewed, he had a dream that his neighbor died of a heart attack while he was walking his dog. And literally that happened about a year or so later. Yeah. So something more substantial, um, uh, something, it could be tragic, profound, something like that. Right. You've obviously been doing this for quite a long time. Can you give us a rough estimate of, as to how many interview subjects you've had over the years? I mean, are we talking hundreds of people or more than a thousand? Any idea? Oh, I'd say hundreds. Uh, I, I've done. They're very in-depth interviews, so you can't just do them quickly. Yeah. And um. And but I've had lots of people tell me stories. Tell me stories that. You know, um, that I didn't interview them on. I remember being in the gym and a, a, a biker coming up to me and saying, I heard, heard that, you're, that you interview people on experiences. And he said that one time he dumped his bike on, a, on the sand on the road and he literally heard a voice in his head, if you want to live, move. And he got up and a vehicle went right over the spot where he was laying. Wow. You know, and that's all he told me. And I never really saw him again. But... People share experiences, and um, what I was, a question you asked earlier, can I prove it or is it, you know, do I believe it? What I do believe is there's, there, it's meaningful, whether it's, whether it's literally true or it's symbolically true, it's meaningful. And then another thing I noticed is there's subjective truth. 
like it's true for you. It doesn't matter if you can prove it to someone else. Yeah. You know, and those experiences really speak to people. You know, I had one in, one interview I did with a woman. She um, she was having a baby, and it became problematic, and they were worried. And suddenly, her grandmother appeared, hmm. and her grandmother was really there with her, and she believed that that's what got her through that. Yeah. And so, can someone say she was really there or not? No one else can really validate that or prove that. But for her, it helped her through. A fairly even breakdown between men and women? Um, yeah, I would say there's a, there's a lar- larger number of men than people realize. Interesting, because I would think men would be more reluctant to talk about this. Well, most of the people that come to speak to me, they're co- it's confidential, so I protect yeah. people's identities. I'm not, and, and people aren't trying to get a lot of attention, and my purpose isn't to get attention. It's more to try to understand the experience and try to understand what's really going on from, you know, a psychological perspective, maybe a spiritual perspective, how to expand our perception and our, and our uh, consciousness. I think that's, you know, the next step in human progress. Sure. How about children? Have you interviewed children over the years? Yes, I have had a number of children I've interviewed with their parents who brought them. Yeah. And interesting experiences, too. What's the age range on that? I mean, how, how young have they, they been? I think seven or eight. Is really? The, the youngest, yes. Wow. Seeing, seeing things and talking about them. And I remember one, I've, I've read some stuff from um, some prominent psychologists that have worked at it, like University of Virginia and... There was uh, Ian Stevenson. He died recently, but he did a lot of stuff with uh, with past life stuff. Some very incredible um, things with past lives, and there there's some very interesting stories. One of which um, was this little girl. Uh, she she said to her mother that she was talking to her grandmother, and so the gra- the mother showed her pictures of both the grandmothers, and she said, "No, that's not them." That's not them. And then she went to her uncle's house for uh, some family get-together, and there was a picture of a great-grandmother, and she said, that's Grandma. Hmm. So it's an interesting way of how we interpret things. Yeah. Fascinating. Interesting that uh, uh, children can give you uh, great details and interesting perspectives as well. Uh, By the way, Jason and JV have some interesting projects coming up. Some of you, I'm sure, are aware. Others, maybe not. Uh, Jason Hawes, his new show, Ghost Nation, is going to be premiering about a month from now. It'll be October 11th on the Travel Channel. Steve and Tango are going to be joining him from the original show, but the new show is called Ghost Nation And it starts on the Travel Channel October 11th, just under a month from today. Uh, J.V. Johnson, meantime, getting ready for Scaricon 2019. Uh, For the first time ever, Scaricon for the fall is going to take place in Rochester, New York. Uh, It'll be the weekend of October 18th, 19th, 20th. Uh, You can uh, check out the website, www.scaricon.com. Find out about some of the guests that are uh, scheduled to appear. I was very glad to see that 
Uh, David Naughton is coming back. Uh, he was there last year at Scaricon when it was at Turning Stone in New York State, uh, star of one of the great werewolf horror films, an American werewolf in London. I had a chance to meet him, talk to him. Great guy, very nice. Loves baseball, too, so that's a that's a, a real good bonus. But a very modest uh, uh, gentleman, very introspective and thoughtful. Really had a good time. Glad to hear that he is coming back for Scaricon 2019. Again, that's coming up October 18th, 19th, and 20th. It'll take place at the Rochester Riverside Hotel in Rochester, New York. In the meantime, though, we continue with our guest. He is an author, hypnotherapist, paranormal researcher, Dr. Frederick Woodard. We continue our conversation with him. Uh, Dr. Woodard, I'm curious about how psychology and the paranormal, two areas that you're an expert in, how do these two areas work together? Psychology, well, it's kind of like I was explaining. The psychology of it would be um, how to understand the meaning of the experiences, and I think the, that's very important work that, um, you know, certain people have started, and we've, we've struggled to have come to the final answers, but um, there's been people throughout history that have been trying to do that, starting with William James, the father of American hypnosis. He was very into that. He'd studied with mediums, and he had looked into all kinds of stuff. And um, so I think the idea of finding the meaningfulness of the experience and trying to understand consciousness. I would think it's a very tricky thing to do. How often are you able to make that connection? Look at a paranormal experience and kind of find the the psychological background or narrative to it. Well, it's the idea of what I was just saying. Like you communicate, um, like the themes I said earlier. If you if you start to pull out the themes, there there um, there's two famous people that have done just what I do in general with the paranormal, but they were very specific. Raymond Moody. Uh, wrote several books on near-death experiences, and he took the themes out of that. And John Mack, who was at Harvard, was very into abductions, and he actually gave people psychological testing and then did his interviews on their experiences. And um, he wrote several books um, that were uh, well-received. So I think it has its place in helping us understand it and to help us evolve. One of the things I'm impressed about you is that you're really respectful about the people that have come before you. You've you've done your research, you've looked at the history, and it sounds like you're trying to continue the work of some pioneers in the field. Oh, yes, absolutely. I mean, I, uh, I, 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 I didn't want to just do it. I wanted to understand. I wanted to make sure that I had some kind of solid training to help me understand. And uh, there's so many good people presently, currently, in all walks of life um, looking into these things. And all the good people come together, we can grow, you know. That's the thing. It's, yeah. Uh, Where do you have a chance to come together? Do you, do you go to conferences, conventions, one-on-one sessions? How are you and some of the other leading authorities in this field 
able to collaborate? I think what I do is I publish. I, I do. I write about my experiences because um, there's only so much time you have, and it's just one thing I do. I have a, I have a full time practice as a psychologist and and hypnotist, and then I this is my I do this on my own mm. for free. I don't charge for this. I try to expand an understanding and put research out there for others to look at, and hopefully someone will take it further than I do. Yeah. You know, and it's so it's um, so it's the writing. I'm working on another book right now, um, and uh, hopefully that'll come out. And that is all the themes that I found, a number of the themes, and quite a, an extensive number of of cases that I've interviewed will be in the book. So if just, if someone has had a paranormal experience and they want to get in touch with you, what's the best way for them to do it? Um, my my email address is drfwoodard at hushmail.com, or my phone number at my office is 603-673-2582. Okay, so the email drfwoodard at hushmail.com. Yes. And the phone number one more time? 603-673-2582. Okay. So we will take calls for Dr. Woodard during the second hour. Again, our numbers are 844-687-7669. Or you can call the uh, more local number, 607-282-4497. We do have someone on the line. Mark is joining us from Buffalo. Uh, Mark, you're on Beyond Reality Radio with Dr. Frederick Woodard. How you doing, Dr. Frederick? Hi. I uh, I was at my mom's house one day around noon in April of 2016, and I'm sitting at the kitchen table, and she's at the other table sitting by a window. And I'm sitting there drinking coffee, and I see a, well, a, a round ball, bright as can be, for about five seconds. And it started at the doorknob of a door where my father used to go to upstairs to sleep, where his bedroom was, and the, the ball caught my attention for like five seconds, and it went up the crack of the door all the way to the top of the door on the left-hand side, and it went across the top of the crack, and it went it went up through the crack and disappeared. And it caught my attention where I couldn't take my eyes off it, and all of a sudden I had this warm feeling go through my whole body, like everything's going to be fine. And four months later, my mom passed. And I don't know if that was my dad's spirit or not, or what that could have been. Right. That's that, that's the interesting thing sometimes is trying to understand what it is you just experienced, you know? But I can't get it out of my head, and it's happened in 2016. And I never talked to anybody really about it. But I'm going to tell you, I I really felt something in my whole body after I seen it, and that's what really makes me wonder. Yeah, if what I've seen was a uh, spirit or or what energy? It was like an energy, a ball of energy. It was. I never believed in anything like this until I seen that, and now I have a feeling of somewhat 
it could be something else out there. I mean, yeah, that that's the kind of thing that happens. Just what you're saying. I mean, you have this experience. Nobody can prove or disprove it, and it meant something to you. You're right, right, right. And Mark, we, like, we want to thank you, uh, Mark, for the call. And and just to follow up on that, uh, Doctor Woodard, when you have somebody tell you an experience like that over the phone as opposed to doing it in in-person interview i imagine it's it's a lot more difficult it's it would it not be much easier to see a person face to face well when i when i do research i have to see the person face to face because it it, it requires uh, it requires a lot of work it's not just simply listening to someone and saying something i mean i uh with what mark just said i could say that there is a number of people that have talked to me about sensation feelings in their bodies that they've had that go with experiences, um, chills, uh, you know, stuff like that, that come across their bodies. I've had a few people I've interviewed that felt there was something that was like negative around them, and they also had bodily sensations. Um, so that that is kind of... Um, something that happens sometimes with experiences there's a body sensation that goes with the the visual experience yeah um but yes i that's i i i don't say anything usually when i'm interviewing people because there's several interviews there's not just one there's several right and um with with each person so i would take that i would ask more questions on what he just said and then i would transcribe what he told me and then we'd have a second or third interview to really understand that experience now the story that that mark just told us it sounds like he saw this this ball that was moving for for several seconds do you attach more significance to someone who sees whether it's a ball or a spirit or a ghost do you attach more significance when they see it over an extended period of time as opposed to just seeing something for a second or two. No, I don't. I, I, I wouldn't. I wouldn't say that necessarily. It's context. You know, hmm. the interesting thing is, uh, one of the things I learned in my life as a therapist and all the different things I do is that you know our strengths. We we kind of run with our strengths in the wrong situation. Your strength is not a strength. You know, and your weakness might be a strength in the right situation. We have another call on the line. Joining us from Independence, Missouri, is Jeff. Jeff, you're on Beyond Reality Radio with Dr. Woodard. Hi. Uh, I really enjoyed your show, by the way. Thank you. Um, my stuff all started when, uh, as a young kid. I've had many in my life, but the first time that I was ever exposed to paranormal stuff was when I was six years old. And my dad bought a well, he didn't buy, but he rented a three-story mansion in Santa Barbara, California. And apparently the lady that owned it couldn't rent it because she said it was so haunted no one would stay in the house for very long. And um, my dad, being a Marine who just got back from Korea, you know, he wasn't afraid of no ghosts. And my parents are both teachers. My dad taught at San Marcos High School at that time. My mom taught grade school. So the... With that, at that time, my parents had seven. We ended, they ended up having nine kids. So seven kids, the dogs, cats, and my parents all moved into this huge mansion that owned like some millionaire. It was a fabulous house. And uh, at the time, I didn't know any of this about it having been haunted or any of that kind of a deal. And um, 
it, stuff just happened all the time. My dad actually had the house blessed by an exercise by a Franciscan priest from the old mission. It was so bad. But the kind of things that would happen were um, my brother Greg and I would sleep in a room, and it would get icy cold. I mean, like we're talking Arctic cold. And then we'd hear these heavy footsteps on the ceiling above us, like somebody was pacing back and forth. And uh, nobody ever lived or stayed on that third floor, which I'll get to why in a minute. And uh, so we complained to our parents that somebody was pacing back and forth on the third floor, and they're like, there's nobody up there. And then the doors would open and close, and you'd feel like someone was following you around. There's a female scream that would happen. My brothers and sisters and I used to play a game where we would see who could touch the third floor landing. And the only ones that ever got close were uh, my brother Greg and I. And when we touched it, something grabbed you, an unseen force, like grab you and, and paralyze you. And the house had like a benevolent thing going on. And later on, I find out, I, I think it was for, for quite a while after we lived there, that a ship captain had owned it. And uh, while he was away at sea, you know, they didn't always have a way to communicate when they were going to come back. So he gets back from sea and uh, goes to his house, catches his wife and uh, some guy in bed on the third floor, and he flips out and kills them both and then killed himself. So there were like three different entities, at least in that house, and two of them were nice, and one of them was like evil as all hell. <laughs> you know, and the only thing I ever heard about ghosts to that point was maybe, you know, watching Casper the Friendly Ghost on TV. It wasn't like a subject that, uh, you know, was ever discussed with me as a little kid. But ever since that event, then I've, I've been kind of susceptible to paranormal activity in a lot of different places and all that. Like I could walk into a building almost and suddenly I get this feeling, you know. A lot of detail there, Dr. Woodard, to try to work through. Yes. Yes, they're quite very, de- very detailed. That sounds like a session you could probably uh, do multiple interviews for several hours. Uh, yeah. Jeff, thanks for the call. Interesting uh, information, a lot of detail about uh, that haunted house that you had firsthand experience with. We will be continuing our conversation with Dr. Frederick Woodard in just a moment. I want to tell you a little bit more about his book before the break at the bottom half of the hour. Uh, His book is called Perceptual Hypnosis, A Spiritual Journey Toward Expanding Awareness. It's doing very well on Amazon.com. It uh, has received uh, multiple reviews, all five stars. Uh, It's available in hardcover, about, uh, I believe, 176 pages. So a very readable length. Again, Perceptual Hypnosis. A Spiritual Journey Toward Expanding Awareness, the book available at Amazon.com. And if you want to find out more about Dr. Woodard himself, you can check out his website. It is WoodardHypnosisAndPsychotherapy.org. Again, Woodard does not have that second W. It's not Woodward. It's WoodardHypnosisAndPsychotherapy.org. Uh, visit the website to learn more about uh, Dr. Frederick and what he is doing. Dr. Woodard, one area I wanted to get into was this whole idea of altered states of consciousness. And and I've, this is something I've heard about before and certainly heard that term. I've heard people try to explain it to me, but I, I, I guess I don't totally understand it. Can you take me through it? What exactly does that mean when someone goes through an altered state of consciousness? Well, it's it, that's a kind of um, open term too. In a way, it's not like specifically defined. I guess some people may, 
But what I would say is it could be a number of things. Under hypnosis, I've had people that have, like, checked out or had, like, literally vivid images and experiences as if they weren't in another place. Um, Meditation, people go into a meditative state. I have meditated regularly, and at one point, uh, the most deep I've ever gotten was to feel like I was in the room, but I couldn't feel my body. I, I was like in the air. I was there, but I didn't know where. But mm. I was. I knew I was still in the room, but I had gotten so deep. That's how I felt, like I was just there. And um, I think there's people that have flashbacks and experiences um, where they're they're not in the present moment. They're kind of somewhere else. Or it's like a dream that's like real, you know, and you go, you're not there. When people go, when people go into one of these altered states of consciousness, and then they, let's say, come back to quote unquote reality, do they forget about where they've been? Some people could, yes. It yeah. Depends on the person, like somebody may remember what happened, and somebody may not. Just like a dream, some people have told me that. Well, I've had a, I had a dream. I had a nightmare. I don't remember it. Yeah. But other people vividly remember their 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 dreams. Um, there's people that have dreams that say they're as real as like real life. They believe they were like experiencing it, and um, the same thing with meditation and various experiences. Um, like I said, that one woman that that like uh, room changed from the way it was to the way it used to be. That's kind of like an altered state. A definition would be just probably a change in space and time, yeah. partially, you know, and a change in, in in your sense of where you are, who you are, and what's going on. You may be in another space. You may be in with it deep within. Now, you said you went through it. Did you feel like you were floating? I felt like I didn't know where my location was except for that I was in the room. I knew I was in the room. I knew I didn't, like, go somewhere else. Yeah. But I could not feel my body, and I couldn't feel... That was the deepest I ever got in a meditation. And it was a very unusual experience that doesn't normally happen. You know, but I've I've had people people say that they leave their bodies under meditation and... and um, things like that, too. I've interviewed people that have left their bodies. Astral projected can be the term or, you know, things like that. Gone some People that believe they've gone somewhere else. Very interesting. Um, let's, um, let's talk a little bit about hypnosis. How okay. exactly does hypnosis work with people that have had these paranormal experiences? Hypnosis with the paranormal, it's like there, there's a number of things people can do to enhance um, the paranormal experiences through hypnosis. There's been a number of works and articles and uh, books that have been used for that. There's a number of uh, authors that are doing things like past life regression and things uh, of that nature. Um, hypnosis... Uh, can also just help you take more control of your mind. And what my, my, where I'm focused at is trying to help people evolve more. Like, how can I get in a space where I can be more aware of what's really there? Like you said, you go somewhere else and you come back to, quote, reality. What is reality? You know, I mean, 
um, if 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 there truly are other uh, dimensions or other experiences or there's things around us we don't see and somebody does slip into the space where they see it, how do you get there? How do you change that? Yeah. It's happening spontaneously to most people. They aren't naturally have control over that. It just takes place. A lot of that was another quality in a lot of my experiences was sponta- spontaneity. It just happens. Can it- it's not expected. It's not, you know, it, it, one of the things that I saw as a really positive uh, uh, aspect of it being genuine was the person, it's not in their thought process. Like you're thinking about your grandfather and you see him. No, it's not that. You were thinking about the baseball game and how you're going to pay your bill and what you're having for dinner, and then all of a sudden this thing happens. Yeah. So it's not like you you didn't, like, plan it out and try to get it going. Right. You know, there's that quality that I notice about most genuine experiences. They just come out of nowhere. There's no, like... It was not expected. It was not planned. It was not nurtured. Can anyone be put under hypnosis, or does it only work with certain kinds of personalities? Uh, That's a a very difficult question. An interesting aspect is what I think hypnosis does, in my, my opinion. Hypnosis teaches people to take control of their own minds. That's the real good, um, a real good use of it. Really, really gifted hypnotists um, will teach you to gain control of your own mind. That's really what happens. But the myth is that someone else is controlling you. But that's not really what it's about. It's about teaching you to gain control of your mind. So your mind isn't just responding randomly to whatever's going on. But you start to have more power within yourself. Um, can anyone be hypnotized? That's an interesting question. When someone doesn't want to be hypnotized, they can't. But then again, what we're talking about is teaching someone to be in control of their own mind. That's not how they see it. They see it as if someone else is influencing them. And some hypnotists use that to try to make themselves maybe you know, feel more powerful in that they, they trick the person to believe that they actually did that to them. But really, all hypnosis is really self-hypnosis. Yeah. So... So the idea is that no one can do anything to you that they couldn't do in everyday life. Let's talk about the process of putting someone through hypnosis. You know, there's the stereotypical image from the movies, especially going back to the 50s and 60s. You know, the doctor will take the pocket watch and he'll swing it back and forth. I I assume it doesn't really work like that. No, it, it it doesn't. It's just a matter of getting that person to focus on closing their eyes and going inside and then starting to, whatever you say to them, if they actually do that, that will take them to a certain place within themselves. But if they choose not to, you can't make them. Yeah. And, um, and um, I don't believe anyone has power over another person through that means. If there's power over people, it's something totally beyond that. And, um, you know, I'm not sure. I mean, I, I was, I, I've read all that stuff that comes from the 60s, you know, all the, where they were doing the, the conspiracy stuff and they were te- trying to see if they could alter people's consciousnesses with drugs and hypnosis, and none of that worked. None of that worked. Yeah. You know, um, the stuff done in psychology... Um, 
they, there was always the safeguard that this is a doctor telling me to do this. He would never hurt me. And it's genuinely true. You know, you go touch that snake, but there's a glass between the snake and you. Right. You know, or um, Milton Erickson did a famous one where he had a girl take a dollar out of his uh, out of his coat that was hanging and steal it under hypnosis and then told her to forget that that had ever happened. And when she came out of hypnosis, she was very angry at him. And she remained angry at him until he straightened the situation out. Really? So it was like that, not something she wanted to do. Yeah. You know, and, and, um, the same thing as memory. There is no, no such thing as erasing a person's memory. They, that will come back. I mean, at least through hypnosis, it's still in your consciousness. It's just a matter of if you don't want to think about something, you can block it out. Sure. But that doesn't mean it's not stored there. Of all the people that you've you've put through hypnosis, was there one instance where what ended up happening while they were in hypnosis was was really strange or weird or fascinating? A- any one particular anecdote that really sticks out for you? Well, I mean, I guess sometimes how quickly it's effective for people. I I, I uh, find that sometimes people um, people can quickly turn things around a lot quicker than they can if they consciously try to make the effort. It's it's sort of like a, a greater. I, in my book, I talk about levels of consciousness, higher and lower, and lower we're not aware of, and the higher ones we're aware of. So. Some things are very low in consciousness, but we choose to put them there, and we choose what we focus on. And um, so I think that sometimes things that are at low levels of consciousness can still have an impact on us, and so bringing them up into awareness can change things. So I've seen people quit smoking in one session, and other people it takes a little longer, but it's, it's, it's really amazing what our minds are capable of. But wow. I don't see it as I don't see it as a control thing yeah. in the sense of other people. I see it as self control. You know, being able to say to yourself, "No, I'm not thinking about that. No, I'm not bringing that into my awareness." Wow, you've had a patient quit smoking through one session. That's uh, amazing. Well, it happens. That happens. You know, not not infrequently. Yeah, where 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 that works pretty effectively. Uh, there's other complications. Nothing that none of the things I suggest tonight don't have exceptions and variations. Sure. You know? Each thing is in the context of that particular situation. We had one caller. He didn't want to go on the air, but he wanted me to pass along this question, and I think it's a good one. He was curious about someone having paranormal experiences as a child. If that happens. Does that tend to open you up to have such experiences as you grow older, as you become an adult? Well, I would, I would, I would, I would, uh, I, I can't answer that like, you know, de- definitively, but I would suggest that whenever people have an experience that changes their reality or, or opens them up to something more, they become more open to that, those experiences. You know, so it's like um, anything, really. I remember an analogy would be, I remember a woman telling me a story about the first time she realized someone was lying to her. She never lied, and 
she believed her family never lied to her, and then this person actually, she realized someone was lying to her. Mm. It was shocking to her. Yeah. You know, so, but after that, she had a different perspective on life. It was like some people lie. And I think we all do that. We kind of assume everybody's like us, but that's not always the case. Dr. Woodard, let's talk about what's next for you. You mentioned earlier that you're working on a, a second book. Um, yes, when do you think working. that might come out? Um, I have it. I have. I, it's being reviewed right now by one, by one publisher, so I'm waiting to hear from them. So I'm not sure because the publishing process takes time, and um, it all depends on whether they accept it or not. You know, each each publisher is different. So I'm waiting to hear, and once I hear. It would be probably within a year. Yeah. Do you do much public speaking, traveling around the country, or do you pretty much stay at your home base? No, I, I have a I have a full time private practice, so I don't I don't travel that much. So you like to stay close to home and work with your your patients, your clients there as much as possible. Yes, I do do that. Yeah. yeah at um, this point. Finally, let's talk um, about, you know, your first book, uh, Perceptual Hypnosis. Uh, it's gotten the great reviews on Amazon. Uh, you pleased with how it's gone and, and the public response you've heard to it? Yes, I, I'm, I'm, I'm very happy with it. It was my, uh, it's the foundation book for my understanding of, of consciousness and, and uh, my approach to work on these things. And the next book is kind of like coming off of this one, so... I saw this as the first one, and um, I, I touch on a lot of things. Like um, one of the things I talk about is it, a lot of times I feel like instead of hypnotizing someone, I'm dehypnotizing them. Yeah. In, in other words, I'm waking them up. Right. And so they were asleep, and it's the opposite of what you know. The the myth is that oh, someone's going to put you to sleep. No, someone's going to wake you up, help you be aware of what's going on and have more power in your own choice of making decisions. I talk about limited perceptions and different things, um, religion and, and spirituality, and even how the media and mind control work. Dr. Woodard, um, we want to um, uh, thank you. Actually, we do have, I'm sorry, we do have one call. We want to uh, sneak in. They just gave us a ring, so we're going to, we're going to, Sneak in TJ uh, from the state of Rhode Island. TJ, you're on yes. with uh, Dr. Woodard. Go right ahead. Uh, one quick question going back to the reference regarding people and their dreams. Now, someone such as myself who can literally remember none of the dreams I have, does that ever present or do you see a correlation between that type of individual and their inability or ability either to be hypnotized or have paranormal experiences? No, I, I think it's just, I think what you have to work on is like being able to try to uh, remember. I, I think, uh, I'm trying to think of ideas that, I think somebody told me once that one of the ways to try to remember your dreams, of course now this is in the context of you're having the time to do this. You can't do this if you have a job in the morning, but waking yourself up. Okay. In the middle of the night and writing down your dreams when you do have them. Oh, but is there a correlation, have you discovered, when people say, I can't remember, I never, like myself, I've told people dream, but I remember none of them. 
It, well, I don't normally see people that don't remember things, so it's oh, like, okay. um, you know what I mean? People come to me with an experience they want to share, so it's not that they don't remember. But um, remembering your dreams, it's it's. Um, I think somebody once said try to wake up. But, of course, if you're working, you can't do that. You know what I mean? Yeah. You have to do it on a day off. Or okay. Try to wake yourself up in the middle of the night, and maybe you will remember it. You know, set your alarm or something and see if that helps. But I, I, you might look, research it, and see if there, there, are, there are people that have worked with dreams that are, like, um, suggesting ways to try to remember them. I know writing them down helps. TJ, thank you very much for the call. We do appreciate it. And Dr. Woodard, we appreciate your time over the last two hours. Again, Dr. Woodard uh, has written the book, Perceptual Hypnosis, A Spiritual Journey Toward Expanding Awareness. You can find it on Amazon.com. And he has a website, WoodardHypnosisAndPsychotherapy.org. Dr. Woodard, thank you. It's, uh, it's been a pleasure. Appreciate it. I've appreciated talking with you, too. You have a good night. We thank uh, you for being with us on this Thursday night edition of Beyond Reality Radio. Uh, tomorrow night, Friday, is a best of show. That's standard practice. So best of tomorrow. Uh, next week, Jason and JV will return from their very uh, mini vacation, if we can call it that. Uh, so they'll be back on Monday night. We're still putting the finishing touches on the guest for the Monday night program. But we do know that Tuesday night, their guest will be Reed Summers. He is a teacher and author sharing the messages of the Allies of Humanity, a group of extraterrestrial beings from various planets. That's the Tuesday night show. And then on Wednesday, the guest will be Joshua P. Warren. He'll return to give us a report from the ground at Area 51. And if you'd like to uh, learn more about me, follow me on Facebook. Go to at Ghostly Gallery. That'll take you to my page, uh, Bruce Markison's Ghostly Gallery. We get into horror, paranormal, supernatural, ghosts, all sorts of interesting and fun stuff. If you go to the page, please like us, follow us as uh, we build the audience there. Uh, That'll do it for tonight's edition of Beyond Reality Radio. Have a good night, everyone. Beyond Reality Radio is hosted by Jason Hawes and J.V. Johnson and produced by Alexandria Johnson and Slick Eddie Edwards for Intercom Radio. Beyond Reality Radio is distributed by Westwood One Radio Networks. Stop by our Facebook page and say hello. Follow the hosts on Facebook as well. For Jason Hawes, follow at JasonHawes.Taps. For J.V. Johnson, follow at JVJParanormal. If you'd like to be a guest on Beyond Reality Radio or you have a suggestion for a guest, contact Slick Eddie Edwards at SlickEddieEdwards at gmail.com. Be sure to visit our chat room as well at beyondrealityradio.com. Thanks for listening.